Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week we're talking about Parashat Noach, second parasha in the Torah. The parasha has, we might say, five different sections, but uh, the parasha in general revolves around two major incidents. Uh, we begin with the Mabul, with the flood. We learned last time, uh, towards the end of Parashat Bereshit, that mankind had become corrupt, and God decided that mankind is to be destroyed. However, Noah, who is a descendant uh, of, uh, of Adam, of course, of Adam, Noah is one person who is found to be righteous, in a uh, wicked world. So Hashem decides to spare Noah and his family. He speaks to Noah and tells him to build the ark, the teva. Gives him specific instructions and says that Hashem will destroy all living things and spare only Noah and his family, but certain living things are to be brought into the Teva uh, in order to carry on uh, life, and also to bring food for uh, those who are going to live in the Teva for the time that that will take place, which turns out will be about a year. And so Noah begins to build the Ark. At the end of the building of the Ark of the Teva, Hashem uh, commands Noah to enter the Teva. Uh, he tells him also to bring uh, seven pairs of each clean animal and bird uh, into the Ark. And he tells him that there are seven days left until the flood. And Noah, very dutifully, uh, obeys. Uh, and the Torah tells us that at the time that this begins, Noah is 600 years old. Uh, and he and his family enter. Noah has three sons, and they're all married. So, Noah and his three sons, and Noah's wife, and his son's wives. Uh, the first day of the flood uh, begins its torrential rain as well as the bursting of underground water. Bursting out uh, forward of underground water as well as torrential rain. And we see how Hashem simultaneously destroys and saves. He destroys life, uh, but at the same time spares Noah and his family, because they are inside the Teva that Hashem has told them to, to build. And the, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights, non-stop. But remember, there's also water coming up from underneath the ground. And as the water rises, the Teva begins to move. Now, the Teva does not have any form of uh, propulsion or steering. It is completely like a essentially like a big box. And it is completely at the mercy of uh, Hashem, uh, expressed through the forces of nature 
that will make the Teva move and go wherever it may go. Uh, we're told that uh, the waters prevail on the earth for 150 days. At the end of this time, the Torah says that Hashem remembers Noah, remembers that he had promised to spare Noah, and uh, as well as all of the living things that are in the Teva. And so Hashem brings a wind to make the waters uh, subside. And they begin, the waters begin to subside, and eventually the uh, Teva comes to rest on the top of a mountain, the mountains of Ararat, which uh, nowadays we would say is located in Turkey. The waters uh, then continue to recede. Uh, Noah, inside the Teva, as well as the his family and all of the living things, um, are situated on top of the mountain, and he cannot tell if the waters have subsided sufficiently uh, so that they can uh, they can leave the Teva. So the first thing he does is he releases a raven, releases the raven, but the raven doesn't return. Then he releases a dove uh, for the first time, but the dove returns, which suggests that there isn't enough dry land enough uh, dry area for the dove to rest. And so he waits seven days uh, and then releases the dove again. And this time it returns, but it's ca- it has uh, plucked in its, uh, in its mouth, in its beak, a, an olive leaf. And this suggests that uh, the trees have begun to uh, grow again. And so Noah waits another seven days to, uh, before releasing the dove again, and this time the dove doesn't return because the dove had found a place to rest. And that means that the water uh, is receding, the land is drying up, and uh, it won't be long before Noah will be able to emerge. In the next section, the waters recede even more and the land drives, dries, and so Noah removes the cover of the Ark of the Teva, and um, the uh, he can see that the land is dry, and uh, the Torah cites that uh, at this point, Noah is 601 years old. Then Hashem commands um, Noah uh, and his family and all the living things to leave the Teva, and he does so. When he does so, Noah builds uh, an altar, a mizbeach, in order to offer sacrifices to Hashem, it seems in order to thank him for sparing himself, his family, and all living things. And Hashem makes a promise that he will never again bring a flood that will destroy the entire world. Hashem blesses Noah and commands him. Um, he repeats that, uh, that of course, vegetation is permitted for them to eat, but up until this point, it has been pro- prohibited uh, to eat meat. But at this point, uh, at this point, meat is permitted. Hashem permits mankind to eat meat, but it must first take the life of the creature, uh, the living thing that it is going to eat, uh, not eat. Uh, something that is still alive or has been uh, 
a part of the animal that's been severed while it was still alive. At the very same time that the Torah uh, permits the consumption of meat within these restrictions, the Torah uh, reminds mankind that uh, that it's prohibited to commit murder, that's to say killing a, another human being. And Hashem blesses Noah. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and repopulate the earth. Now it is their responsibility to repopulate the earth. And the whole section on the uh, on the flood, the Mabul, concludes with Hashem making a covenant with the descendants of Noah uh, that he will not bring a flood to destroy the entire world. And a sign of the covenant is the rainbow. When the rainbow will appear in the sky, that will be a reminder that Hashem has made a commitment not to destroy the world in a flood of water. The next section of the parasha is the aftermath of the flood. So the flood is still the central central theme, but now we deal with uh, events after the flood. And the Torah records only one uh, significant event uh, in the life of Noah, and it's not a very uh, uh, complimentary one. Uh, after the flood, Noah, uh, who undertakes uh, agriculture, uh, cultivates grapes, uh, produces wine, and he becomes drunk and he debases himself. He, uh, when he comes to, he realizes that it's his uh, children, his, his grandson Canaan, that have discovered him. Uh, specifically, Canaan and Canaan's father Ham. However, the other two sons, Shem and Yefet, were very respectful towards their father. And so, for the first time, and indeed the only time in the parasha, Noah speaks. And he speaks first by cursing Canaan uh, and and then blessing Shem and Yefet uh, for uh, the way they treated him. But uh, uh, it's, wonder, it's a, a wonder uh, why did Noah uh, produce wine. Uh, more about that uh, at the end. The Torah tells us about the rest of Noah's life. There's no uh, record of Noah having any more uh, children. Um, and that brings us to the uh, conclusion of the section of the aftermath of the flood. The next part of the, uh, of the parasha deals with the, descent, the uh, descendants of Noah, uh, in which we see that there are uh, 70 nations. Remember Hashem said to, Noah's, to Noah and his family that they must be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. So their responsibility is, of course, to have children and so on, but also to spread out, to spread to a variety of places. Uh, and if we count all of the descendants of Noah, we discover that there are 70 names, and this is the basis of the idea that there are 70 nations in the world. First, the Torah tells us about the descendants of Yefet, and then the descendants of Ham, which include Cush, uh, as and uh, Canaan and their lands, and it makes a point of talking about Nimrod, uh, who was a, a mighty leader. He was a, a hunter, 
uh, and he seems to be the first to have built uh, an empire uh, around himself. Um, after the descendants of Ham, the Torah talks about the descendants of Shem, and uh, the Torah is going to focus its attention now on the descendants of Shem. Uh, in particular, one of Shem's descendants, whose name is Avel, and uh, we will find out that uh, the Jewish people will be descendants of Avel, which is at least one reason why they're called Ivrim, because uh, they are descendants of Avel. And the Torah even talks here about the lands uh, where the sons of Shem uh, uh, settled. The next part of the parasha uh, is the other major incident that happens in the uh, parasha. Uh, this is a, another generation. Uh, if Noah's generation was the generation of the flood, so this is known as the generation of dispersion. Doha uh, the Torah starts off by telling us that mankind had a united language, uh, and uh, yet, instead of using that unity in a productive way, uh, they decide that they're going to build a city and a tower in order to prevent dispersion. And aside from everything else, maybe a waste of time, uh, this is also a violating God's command. God said that they should be fruitful and multiply, but that, but that they should also disperse. And they're building this in order to prevent dispersion. And therefore, Hashem uh, does not uh, accept uh, this project that they're doing. Uh, but rather than destroying them, uh, He confounds their languages, makes it impossible for them to understand each other. They originally had a united language, Chazal tell us that that language is Hebrew. But now, uh, with a confounding of languages, they can't communicate with each other, and consequently, uh, they disperse. And the place where they started to build is known as Bavel, and the Torah explains that Bavel is derived from the word that means to confuse, because God confused their languages in that place. That's the second major incident the second focal point of Parashat Noah. Um, <clears throat> after the dispersion, and I repeat, the, the, the generation of the dispersion was not destroyed, so they have uh, descendants. And uh, the Torah then, in the next section, talks about the lineage, uh, tracing the lineage from Shem all the way to Avram, including their ages, uh, at the time that they had the next generation, uh, how old they were, uh, and so on, and some uh, background to all of them. So, from shame, we have uh, a, a list of, uh, of generations. Al-Pachshad, Shelach, Evel, whom I mentioned earlier, Peleg, Ru'u, Serug, Nacho, and Terach. Now, Terach is the father of Avram. At this point, Avram is still called Avram. And the information that we're given about Avram is very sparse. One, that Avram uh, is married to Sarai, and that she is barren. Avram has a brother named Nahor, married to Milka. There was a th- third brother named Haran, who had a son named Lot. But, the Torah says, that Haran dies young. 
Haram. Haram with a hey. The, uh, the final part of the parasha uh, talks, uh, in, in continuing to talk about the story of Terach, tells us that Terach takes his family from Ur, which seems to be where they were originally from, uh, traveling, it would seem, mostly along the Euphrates River, uh, with the intention of eventually coming to Canaan, the earlier name of the land of Israel, but Terach and his family settle in Haran. Haran is the city. Haran was the third brother who died. They shouldn't be confused. Terach and his family settle in Haran, uh, uh, which is where uh, he lives, where, where Terach lived for the rest of his life. And that brings us to the end of uh, Parashat Noah. So we are brought from the story of Noah, the flood, to the uh, eventually to the dispersion, which brings us ultimately to Avram and sets the stage for the creation of the Jewish people. I want to return to the episode in which Noah uh, produces wine. It's interesting that when Noah is first introduced to us, uh, he's called Ish Tzadik. But after the flood, he's called Ish Adama, a man of the soil a tiller of the soil. Um, so he seems to want uh, more more stability, and so he works on uh, what he can learn from how to raise from the uh, from the soil. And the Torah says specifically that he planted a vineyard. Apparently he was the first one to do so. And uh, eventually he was able to produce wine. He became drunk, <clears throat> and he uncovered himself within the tent, and uh, then we have the aftermath. Um, it's uh, it really uh, is startling uh, to go from Noah being saved explicitly by Hashem because of his righteousness to this uh, unfortunate uh, incident. Uh, and the question is, why did this happen? Uh, why did uh, Noah come to such a to such a pass? And one interesting theory uh, comes from the Abravanel. The Abravanel uh, insists that when it came to when it came to the production of uh, grapes, people knew how to grow grapes. Um, after all, if uh, Noah planted a vineyard, then he must have brought some grapevines onto the teva with him. Uh, what there didn't exist before Noah according to the Bravanel, was planting grapes in uh, a specific uh, system of organization with rows, which we call a vineyard, and that is the precursor to producing wine. That's uh, Noah's uh, innovation. Um, so, he had taken branches of the gra- of grapevine, brought them onto the ark, and now... He planted a vineyard, he organized everything row by row, uh, and the, per- uh, the purpose of this uh, was in order to, uh, to produce wine. Then, the Abravanel uh, suggests a theory. Why is it that Noah wanted to produce wine? Why was that important? So he suggests that after the flood, after the Mabul, after 
all of life was destroyed with the exception of Noah and his family, it's possible that Noah became despondent. Uh, these are, this is what the Abravanel suggests. It's possible that he became uh, uh, despondent, fed up with his life, uh, possibly because he felt on a certain level, uh, or maybe what the Abravanel is saying, is that uh, Noah felt to a degree guilty uh, for not having done more to, per, uh, to prevent the destruction of mankind. But one way or the other, uh, Noah is uh, undergoing a great deal of trauma. Why did I survive when so many others uh, died? Uh, this, uh, this depressed feeling um, brought Noah to produce wine uh, so that he would never have to drink water, which is the agent of the destruction of all living things. He would never have to drink water or even see it ever again. Very interesting insight that uh, the Abravanel is saying that uh, this incident, which is uh, unfortunate, uh, but comes from uh, a, a certain perspective of Noah, uh, which we can understand, which we can sympathize with, uh, because uh, his uh, his emotional state led him to, as we might say, swear off water and uh, drink wine instead which would help to numb this pain, uh, despondency, and guilt after having survived the mighty waters of the Mabul. Words uh, and an idea to think about. I thank you all very much for joining me for Parasha Highlights and Insights. This has been Rabbi Abraham Fisher saying Shalom.